Hey everybody, this is Emily. Just a note in advance of this episode that we do mention and discuss sexual assault, sexual harassment, sexual violence. We don't get into any specific detail, but it absolutely is a topic of conversation. So if that's not something you're in a place that you want to be exposed to, this is not the episode for you. Thanks. Again, at the Feminist Survival Project, more literally than we even anticipated, even as pessimists so strong, we started a podcast called the Feminist Survival Project last November. So here we are. And uh, we're confronting some shit that we did not know we'd be confronting, but maybe we could have anticipated it. So Amelia, would you please introduce our guest? Yeah, we're talking to a guest today because you texted me last week and said, hey, we should do an episode about like the feminist implications of voting for Joe Biden in light of the accusations against him from Tara Reid. So I thought it was a good idea, but also that I would not be very helpful in that conversation because I am not a member of the Democratic Party and my objections to Joe Biden are bigger than him as an individual candidate. So uh, I thought we should- Your objections to, to Joe some... Biden aren't your objections to Joe Biden. You're, they're your objections to the Democratic, to the Democratic Party, Party and yeah. the bicameral system or the, the yeah. system. We, yeah. It's it's a system that, that started with a field of like 20 candidates full of women and people of color, a lot of whom had no sexual assault history at all. No. And yet, which is the one they picked? That's why I object to the Democratic Party. Yeah. Um, so anyway, your objection even originates before the Democratic Party doing this terrible thing of choosing Joe Biden. This like ridiculous, are you kidding me? Decision. Yeah. That we all came to collectively. Apparently, yeah. You're that- already not going to vote for a Democrat because you're a member of the Green Rainbow Party. Yeah. To me, nominating Joe Biden is just one of many things and a representative sample of all the ways that the Democratic Party is fucking things up. So I thought we should talk to someone who would ordinarily vote for a Democrat, but objects on the ground specifically of Tara Reid's allegations. Um, So I know just such a person. That's who we're going to talk to today. So I'd like to introduce you to my friend and colleague, Dr. Mark Boyle. Uh, He is a DMA like I do, and he's a Another we only team. talk to doctoral level conductors like, here. Like all my friends are choral directors. That's just <laughs> how it is. But he's also an outspoken feminist in a field that is dominated by white men who do not care that the field is dominated by white men. So he's a total good egg and we really like him. So this is Dr. Mark Boyle. Hi, Mark. Hello. I'm, I'm really honored and happy to be here. What would you like people to know about you? I'm a father of two boys who... I've done my best to, uh, along with my wife, of course, to, uh, to raise with an awareness of who they are and the advantages they have because of the fact that they are boys. I, I think one of the stories I could quickly tell that kind of gives you a, 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 an understanding of, I think what we've tried to do with them is a discussion that we had in the car when my, my oldest, who's uh, 17, he was probably 12. And our youngest was uh, eight. And it was just the three of us in the car and we're driving and and Nathan, the oldest, turns to me and says, hey dad, how come women have different titles like miss and missus and men just have mister? And I said, well, Nathan, that really comes down to a silly system of women being defined by 
their sexual availability. You know, I, this is my 12 year old. I'm telling this to in the car. Wow. And, and I said, it, you know, it, that's really where it comes down to for a long time, women weren't allowed to get credit cards on their own. If they were married, they had to ask their husbands. And my 12 year old looked at me and said, well, that's just stupid. <laughs> and then the eight year old in the back was like, yeah, that's dumb. I mean, <laughs> And and there was just a, a moment of okay we're doing this right we're doing this right, doing this <laughs> yeah. right. you know yeah. all things being equal Parenting yes they're still victory. yeah they're still not picking up their crap but they're <laughs> they're getting these important little nuggets of of uh, how they're going to be defined because you know I'm a big proponent as everyone should be of the concept that you know boys who don't get guidance like that grow up to be men who don't have a compass and don't have that thought in their head. And they just think with other parts of the body, you know, <laughs> and, and there's no sense of true equality and understanding equity and all of those things when it comes to the ridiculous gender roles that, that have kind of been foisted upon us. Um, I, you know, my wife and I met when we were in, in college, both as first year music majors. I, I think, who I am as a person sometimes is a bit of a huh to some people. You know, I, I, uh, I was in the military. I'm a veteran of the United States Navy. I, I'm covered in tattoos at this point. You know, I, I mean, I, uh, <laughs> I want to just, even if we don't include this, you want to tell us about your most recent tattoo? The most recent one is the Thomas Kirka. They're kind of geeky tattoos. That's why right? I want you to talk about them. Because <laughs> you have tattoos because uh, you're such a badass. Yeah. But if you're Thomas Kirka <laughs> So this is the church where Bach finished his career. Okay, um, that is a deep <laughs> cut. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. And uh, I have other Bach tattoos and it's fine. And I'm, so I already have the, yeah. For so, the listener, sorry. his entire forearm is covered <laughs> in the basically a steeple of a church. Yep. There it is. Yeah. yeah. And so anyway, yeah. That's a lot. Uh, I th it is I think I think who I am often is is like like all of us right I, I mean it's ridiculous for me to say uh, you know I'm unique because I have all these facets we all have all these facets but I think you're when, you're you're especially unique it's true when people well that's kind of you and when when people look no, I'm at, just saying as a statistical variant you stand out you're just way along the bell curve from people's life experiences and where they end up yeah I, oh, that's true. And it's a, it's kind of a weird thing sometimes for some people. And I, I've, I've yes. gotten into some serious debates with people. And when I, they learn that I'm a veteran, they, they immediately kind of cock their head and they go, well, wait, wait a minute, that doesn't fit with my preconception of what yeah. that's supposed to be. Right? right. So I've, you know, I'm from New England. I've lived all over the country. Um, I've lived in Hawaii, California, Indiana, Illinois, uh, New Jersey, Connecticut uh, is where I'm from originally. And now I'm in Western Pennsylvania, which is a, a rather conservative part of the country and the state. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So. Dude. Yeah. So Mark's going to be interesting to talk about this political situation with. Do you know your district's history in terms of like presidential election stuff? Uh, where I am, my county has been very red. It's, it's, it went for okay. Trump by a rather large margin. I remember, you know, I've only lived here for in this, in this area for eight years. And so you were there for 2012. 
I was, and I can't tell you for sure. If I had to guess, I would imagine that Westmoreland County and the district we're in probably uh, went for the Republican candidate. Okay. Rather than the Democratic. It was McCain candidate. that year, right? Yeah, I mean, we could look that up, um, I, you know, um, and, and that would be my gut. I think that, it was Romney. You know. Rom- oh, okay. Um, okay, we now have to pause. Now we have to look, yeah. And look up who the freaking. Yeah. Um, 2012 presidential election. Might have been I, Romney because McCain was against. And no. that was 2008. It was McCain in 2008. Uh, yeah, it was Romney. Yeah. Romney. I had him backwards. Yeah. So, you know, when, I, when I, we went to vote, and it's, you know, a mile away from our house. Uh, it's the, it's the, the VFW, it's the, the, not the VFW, it's the volunteer fire department, the fire hall. There was a smiling man outside uh, the, the building with his red shirt on, you know, but covered so you couldn't see that it said Trump because that would be wrong. Observing everyone as they went in. He was one of the volunteer observers. And, you know, he was being pleasant and polite more than likely because I looked the way I look. You know, uh, again, a you're a of, white man. Yeah, yeah. Covered in tattoos. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a function of, of the privilege that I, yeah. you know, unearnedly enjoy in life. And when I walked out after I voted, and at that point, I, I was really unsure it was going to happen. I had just made a trip to central Pennsylvania, driving the back roads of Pennsylvania. And I was shocked as to how many Trump signs I saw. And I came back to home and told Jane, my wife, I'm really starting to worry that this actually might happen. And I'm just you know, looking I, at the details. Can you tell me what county you live in? Westmoreland County. It's, it's, it's the last county before you get to Allegheny County, which is Pittsburgh and a, a kind of the liberal bastion of, of the Western. Western Pennsylvania. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It was no contest. It went 61% to yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't surprise me at all. So, you know, I, I've been teaching at the collegiate level for 10 years, uh, full time. And before that, you know, as a, an adjunct and, and TA. And I, that's, I mean, you're I, also a church musician, like most musicians are also church musicians, yep. just on the side. I have a, a church post as a professional singer in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. at a large mainline church. Which explains uh, to people why you have that sonorous and soothing voice. <laughs> that we're all enjoying listening to. Like you could just Thank be you. in the phone book and be like, turn to page B now, Mark. That'd be great. It's very you're soothing. So, you're so <laughs> kind. Uh, thank you. And I also conduct a rather unique group uh, in Pittsburgh called the Pittsburgh Compline Choir, which would be kind of complicated to discuss here, but uh, just suffice it to say that uh, that group sings a service at Heinz Chapel Auditorium, uh, Heinz Chapel not auditorium, Heinz Chapel in, at, at the University of Pittsburgh every week during the academic year. So uh, I'm busy and I do a lot of guest conducting and you know I compose and I'm also a poet. So there we go. That's me in a nutshell or a yeah. really big nutshell. That's, yeah, fantastic. So I knew that you felt conflicted about Joe Biden because you posted it on Facebook. You said, I believe yeah, Tara Reid and, yeah. and I'm not sure what I'm gonna do in November. I'm not sure how was- I can vote for this guy. That was a fun post. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So did you get a lot of loving, supportive responses? I actually wound up having to delete it. Um, so I guess for more context, and, and again, I'm a pretty open book, especially at this point. I mean, there are parts of my life that I wasn't really open about until recently, but I've experienced twice in my life some level of, of sexual assault. Once was when I was rather young. It was with 
priest who was a friend of the family at a public event where I was molested basically in, in a, in a fellowship hall <laughs> sitting, sitting on his lap. And I had no clue what to do. And I, I literally told no one about that ever until a year and a half ago. Wow. And then I was also sexually harassed and, and assaulted by a, a, a male boss the summer after my freshman year of college. Um, and so, you know, I, I posted that I was having issues, you know, cause I, I all, all along, I was one of these blue, no matter who. And, and frankly, I get that that's what I'm likely going to wind up having to do. But in the moment I was processing this new information and also dealing with the fact that, you know, I have, I have no reason to doubt this woman at all. I, I, I want to hear what she has to say and I want to support her as, as, I, as much as I can do from a distance. And so I just posted on Facebook that I, I was having a hard time and friends of mine, like friends that I've known for a long time who I've been very close with just came out of nowhere and didn't just say, yeah, that sucks, but we're really going to have to just suck it up and do it. It wasn't that it was, I'm sick of hearing this shit. I'm, I'm tired of this. And then when I gave a little context and said, look, I'm having a hard time with this because of this. They didn't care. Yeah. They, they just, they flat out didn't care. And I started having flashbacks um, uh, to, to these events in my life, which I, I really hadn't experienced in that way before. And the way I described it actually sent Amelia an email. It, it was like little electrical shocks in my back yeah. going off. It just, I, I would be sitting there and I just, you know, and um, it made me ill. It made me feel like I, I needed to throw up. And, you know, I, one person kept tagging me in post, say, conflicted about voting for Biden. That's a vote for Trump. Conflicted, you know, are, are you thinking about staying home? That's a vote for Trump. So just own up that you're a Trump supporter. And she would tag me, just say Mark Boyle with a question mark. And so I sent her a, a message saying, could you please not tag me? those posts i get it but it's not helping <laughs> it's such a me. minimal thing to do just don't tag me and the response wasn't i understand you know i really want to encourage you to vote i i'm okay with that i really want to encourage you to vote for him because that's the only way out of this mess right now it wasn't that it was yeah. you know if you just want to stay home in your house and in, in pa and hold up with your family fine elect trump i'm like I, and and what was really odd was this person was someone that also had experienced sexual assault. And so, uh, you know, I guess the, the lesson there for me is that everyone kind of processes that differently. See, um, it's fantastic that that was your response is that every, everyone processes things differently. Everyone's recovery journey is different. And she did not reach that conclusion when you asked not to be triggered over and over again by her posts. She didn't say, yes, everybody has their own recovery journey. Everyone's responding to this as individually. You know, you, good luck on your journey. I encourage you to vote in November. Love you, let me know if you need any help. Like that's how you respond to a thing like that. Not with more aggressive. To be fair, there were people that reached out to me privately and said just that, are you okay? Um, there was one one colleague, uh, he's actually a, fairly well-known conductor in the orchestral world who sent me a message saying, you know, I unfriended you when you posted that. 
And then I realized that that was wrong. And then I, I said, yeah, I understand, you know, and at this, at this point I hadn't added context to the post and I said, look, you know, I, this is why. And he went, Oh, well that totally makes sense. I completely understand. You know, other friends have actually, again, have confided in me in messages, sweet, sweet messages of support, but also, and you know, look, you're going to have to do this, that they also were assaulted in some way. And it, it's painful to hear that, um, yeah. you know, just that, cause I, I know, I, and again, it's not a contest. I get that's not a contest, but when someone tells me that they were raped when you know, the babysitter when they were young, I'm just like, Oh my God, I have no right to be complaining about being fondled by priests. And I'm not, it's not that I'm complaining. You know what I mean? It, it, it's, and then, and then you're in the situation. It's not a contest, where, right. Yeah. But, but you, you suddenly feel. Uh, That's on, all written in the trauma Olympics. Yes, right? exactly. exactly. <laughs> and now the mailman is here. So hang on one second <laughs> while I, I deal with my dog. Skyler. Mark has a chocolate lab. No. They adopted, I think it's like two years ago. Four. Four years ago? Yeah, come on, come on. Oh God, how time flies. Nine? All right. Yeah, it, we, we got her right when we, uh, we bought the house. She did a really good job of making the mail delivering person go away. Yeah. She did. She's a very good girl. Yeah. Very good girl. So, you know, that's, that's kind of, I think, probably what made Amelia think, Hey, let's, let's talk about this because of that post. But I eventually had to just delete it because of all the notifications that I was getting, or every time I'd go back to my wall, I'd see more people, even with the context, Yeah, you know, basically saying, shut up. <laughs> and, yeah. like, well, and, and then of course you go through the whole, well, this is of course why no one ever wants to report and share with what, what's happened to them because even with people that care about you and may share an ideology with you, they're, sometimes they're just not going to care about, about that aspect of who you are. And, yes. you know, as everyone knows, it really defines so much of, of who you are from a day-to-day -day basis in small and large ways, you know? So yeah, there you go. I want to repeat that this is why survivors don't report. Is because they see what happens to people who do. They see that they're not believed. They see that they're not treated with compassion. They see that they're publicly scorned and treated with aggression. So I, one of the reasons I wanted us to have this conversation even is because, by other survivors. Yes, even by other survivors. One of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation is to, like, we have two kinds of probably listeners in the audience. People who are like Emily, who are like, yep, you just got to do it. And people who are like Mark, who are like, I really am not sure how I'm going to do that. And I think both sides need to learn to have this conversation in a compassionate and loving way. Yes. Not just for the sake of, you know, hey, let's be compassionate towards each other. But when we're compassionate to other people who are survivors, it teaches the next generation of survivors because there are going to be more behind us. And those who are silent survivors who are not participating in the conversation, it teaches them that it is going to be a safe place and that they can report and they can be honest and that they won't be attacked. So let's all make that a rule. Let's demonstrate compassion especially to survivors, but really to anybody who has feelings for whatever reason that they may or may not be reporting to you about conflicted political choices. So I want to say five million things. <laughs> yeah. 
the first one is, Mark, I'm really sorry that those things happened to you. Nobody deserves to have it happen. You deserve to live a life without that happening. And I'm really glad that your life has grown into something that looks like it is just tailor-made for you. And you have not let it stand in the way of you becoming the person that you are and the parent that you are and the partner that you are and the dog dad that you are, frankly. Well, thank you. Number one, most important thing. And obviously- I I'm keeping track. That's one so that we have- <laughs> 999,999. <laughs> I have a piece of paper. Here we go. And I also believe Tara Reid. And um, I'm going to vote for Joe Biden. And I uh, gave up on Facebook as a platform to have conversations about anything complex. <laughs> yeah. When people with whom I have a great relationship in person who would never speak to me in person the way that they speak to me on Facebook were speaking to me in ways that I would never tolerate them speaking to me in person. So I part of what you experienced, I want to attribute to the platform itself bringing out in people something that is, I, I, I don't know where it comes from. Why do people act like that on Facebook? Why do they get so reactive and like their compassion just drains away and they turn into these ideological mean jerks. <clears throat> I'm wondering if someone's done a, a research study on that. Uh, there's gotta be reasons behind it, right? There's gotta be, but it's, that's part of my own experience too, of talking about complicated issues on Facebook. Just to, to respond to that really quickly, you know, believe me, I've had my moments where I've said, I just need to walk away from this, but as Amelia probably knows. So one of my nicknames with some of my colleagues in, in the choral world is mayor of choir town. And it, it's, it's, I love meeting people and introducing people to other people and making these connections. And I love it. Right? You're a maven. So, yes, I'll take it. And, you know, I, I, I have utilized Facebook to kind of build that network and, and, you know, connect people. And at this point, uh, it's, it's ridiculous. I have a problem. Okay. <laughs> it's 3,895 3, friends is, is where right. I am right now. It's a, it's a problem, but the other issue, and one of, one of my friends who kind of didn't attack me, but kind of engaged me and also shared with me his own story reminded me something that I just, I wasn't even thinking about. He, he said, it's pretty apparent to me that there are a lot of people that pay attention to what you say on Facebook. I don't say that as, as a self-serving statement. Um, it was just kind of a, a realization going, well, okay, that's, that's a fair point. And I have to consider that, you know, from time to time. But in this instance, that was kind of outside of that scope. You know what I mean? And, and so anyway, that's, I just wanted to, throw that in there because it's a problem and I should seek help. <laughs> no, that's, that's a thing that is true for me too, as a person who has like written books about sexuality and like did a Ted talk about sexual violence, me saying things out loud about this impacts people in a way that's different from me saying things about it. I mean, frankly, yes. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're not like the published expert on the no. thing. I have 400 Facebook friends. <laughs> you're normal. <laughs> 
Yeah. And yeah. I, and I, I, and I mostly all just share my posts with close friends and I <laughs> don't share them with acquaintances. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, all mine are public. I, I've got, you know, everything just wide open. So yeah. 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 It's something to consider. Third thing I wanted to mention when you were describing symptoms, are you interested in sort of like the physiology of why that happened, the <gasps> sensations in your spine and the nausea? Of, Mark yes. read by, by Keeps the Score. Didn't you? Oh, I think you posted it on your books that you had acquired and were about to read. And I was like, oh my God, read that book. Uh, I, I haven't gotten to that one yet. <sighs> Not yet. It's real good. Next on your list. Yeah. That. But the physiological sensations you're describing are a pretty classic vagal response where uh, the 10th cranial nerve to your brain is connected to your face, your heart, and your gut. And what you were experiencing was a shutdown of your social world was collapsing. And so your body was like, that's my first cue that the world makes any kind of sense. And it like went into panic mode in the form of freeze. So that was your body like <sighs> being like, I'm under immediate threat right now particularly when people are survivors of the kinds of violence where they feel trapped and like there's nothing they can do to escape. They can never tell anyone about it. They can never say or do anything to protect themselves. Freeze becomes a habitual kind of stress response. And it sounds like that's what happened to you. In other words, your trauma got triggered, which yeah. completely new. This is just the nerdy way to say that same thing. I mean, but it's, it's great to understand that. I love being able to kind of that's the type of person I am. Yeah. Because I'm a big nerd, right? I mean, you will I like a, body I a, the score. I have a tattoo of a church on my arm. I'm a big nerd. <laughs> because it's um, where Bach wrote his, <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 Uh, so that's, uh, that's a wonderful thing to know. It really is. Yeah. It you're going gonna... it's, it's odd to me that, that it never happened until now. I've never experienced that feeling. And, you know, the, the, the first one, I can't even remember how old I was. I was under 10. I was probably seven or eight or nine. And then the other one was just after my freshman year of college. And I've kind of never had anything like that happen mm. until this happened. And it lasted for like three days. So it's yeah. nice to kind of have a, an explanation. So thank you. Have you previously had experience of telling someone and having them dismiss you or slap you down? No. Never. Um, well, that and, you would know, go some distance uh, in explaining that. You're going to find Body Keeps the Score to be a really valuable source of information. Um, I recommend you get to it ASAP. Thank you. I will. Uh, and then the fourth thing to add context, we're recording this on May 6th, which is the day after Ruth Bader Ginsburg had a non-surgical hospitalization for her gallbladder. Yeah. And as... I'm receiving a package right in front of us. It's amazing. Sorry. No, it's fine. fine. This is, that's that's quarantine, baby. <laughs> I watched I watched a, a Disney vlogger who, of course, can't vlog Disney anymore because Disney is closed. So they're vlogging just their life at home, and they're going a little stir crazy. And they've started saying, "That's quarantine, baby," <laughs> over and over again. Great. That's a T-shirt waiting to happen. <laughs> they sell T-shirts. They will probably make that one. Yeah. Yeah. So where did I start with this? Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Right. Yes. Ruth Bader yes. Ginsburg. My husband basically says he, he'd vote in a way that whatever way will give Ruth Bader Ginsburg peace of mind. A chance to retire. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because she deserves it. 
and mm -hmm. she probably feels morally obliged not to right now. Uh, yeah, so, especially considering her, you know, her her career path and, right. and everything she's done. And the kinds of cases that are being heard today. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, Emily, can you also say a thing about the number of survivors of sexual harassment and assault so that we all know that we're not alone? Sure. The baseline numbers that I tend to work with are one in three women, one in six men, and somewhere between half and three quarters of trans folks. So wow. very much not alone. Yeah. It is not at all surprising that this many people are reacting to this story about Tara Reid in these complicated ways because so many of us are carrying this in our bodies. The first time I shared anything about my experience in the summer after my freshman year on Facebook, it, I, it had to be relevant to something that was happening. Maybe it was a special day of, of observance of something. I can't remember, but I shared my story and you know, it was probably, it might've been during the Me Too uh, kind of height of that or just before. And I was kind of blown away by the number of people in my circle from various parts of my life who sent me messages saying, this happened to me. I've never shared it with anybody. Thank you for saying something. It made me feel like I could say something. Um, and I, I spent like <laughs> two days just weeping yeah. Reading these messages. I mean, one of them was a young girl who was in a church choir, a bell choir that I directed in Indiana. And, and I, you know, I knew her when she was 12. And so you know how that works, you know, when you yeah. meet someone that that's the frozen image you have of them in their right. head and your head. And then she shares that this happened to her in high school. And I just, it was just heart wrenching, you yeah. know, and that she felt like she really couldn't share it. And that she just, thought she'd send me a message. So yeah, it's, uh, those numbers are painful. Yeah. This is also one of the reasons that we've said over and over again, that the most important social justice work you can do is healing from your own trauma so that you're not taking your own pain out on the rest of the world, on, on other survivors, on people of color, on anyone who seems to be um, not in a position of power who ought to be doing what you believe they should be doing. If you are coming from a place of fear and unhealed pain, you're, you're way more likely to lash out and do something not in a compassionate way, not in a generous way. So step number one for all of us is turn toward our pain with kindness and compassion so that we are capable of turning toward other people's pain with kindness and compassion so that we can reach a place of peace in the nation, not based on fear and reactive necessity, but out of love and hope. See, the way I was going to say that was heal your own shit so you don't treat other people like shit. There's another t-shirt. We should keep track of that too. <laughs> Definitely. All the t-shirts that we're going to make based on this episode. So a thing we are totally not going to do right now is litigate Tara Reid's story. Yes, that's not Working part of our conversation. is that something not good happened and the details are not up to us and we'll never know the exact details, but the baseline assumption is when someone dares to come forward with a story like this, the consequences of it are so painful for that person, they would not dare do it. 
if it weren't true. And that's all it takes to explain why it took so long for the story to come out. That is all the justification we need, especially when we see people telling their own stories in response to it and being treated like exactly it as a result of it. Yeah. So we're, we're just not going to do that. Um, and if you are looking for an episode that litigates these claims, you're going to need a different podcast. Yeah. What we are here to do is to recognize that we've got two main candidates and then all the other stuff that goes on around presidential campaigns, neither of whom has a clean record around sexual assault, sexual harassment, rape. Uh, and if we're going to vote, we got to vote for somebody. The further context is that the Republican Party now explicitly has said out loud that they, one of their primary strategies to win elections is to depress turnout. Well, and, that's, that's always been, you know, their, their thing. Yes. And for them to actually verbalize that. Say it out loud. Ways. I was like, yeah. you said out loud the thing you were not supposed to say out loud. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're in that place now, aren't we? I yeah. Mean, the, 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 the bad guys are now monologuing and telling us yeah. their strategy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very much, Mr. Bond. Allow me yeah. to tell you my origin story. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Please do not press the enormous red button over here. The enormous red button is not voting. Yeah. <laughs> in your thousands. Um, and they just say it out loud now. And there's nothing like a sexual assault allegation to depress the turnout of progressive feminists. Yeah. Like, what can we do about the fact that this has happened? How about like, just not, I'm just not going to vote for anybody. And the moment for me when this became something I wanted to talk about out loud was when I read her own comment that she would never vote in a federal election again. And I, on the one hand, like I get that. And on the other hand, in choosing my own behavior, what is my guide? Like, what do I follow for my choice? And for myself personally, and this is just my own personal choice, I live in Massachusetts. There's no question what's going to happen in my state or in my district. Right. No question at all. I could, without consequence, vote for anyone I wanted. I'm going to vote for Joe Biden while believing Tara Reid because I would like to record in history and comment in the past, like, so what did you do in this election? I voted against Trump actively. Yeah. You know, one of the people that reached out to me with compassion kind of reminded me of another aspect of this beyond uh, the, the feminist kind of approach to, to this specific part of what's going on, that there's stuff outside of that. And he reminded me of the racial ramifications Heck yeah, and you know which i'm completely aware of but it was helpful to hear it again from someone that i hold in high esteem um who is very vocal about these things you know he moves through the world in a very different way than i do because he's a black man and we often have had you know some intense discussions um about about racial issues, always on the same side, you know, and, and just kind of talking through things. And, and it's always a, a, a helpful thing for me to get his perspective 
and this in no way is a, I, I need, <laughs> I need to reach out and, and uh, have it explained to me by a, uh, someone in the black community. That's right. not what it is. It's a friend of mine who experiences life differently that uh, I feel grateful to that he shares his experience. And he flat out uh, just kind of said, look, we're going to die. There are, there are people who move through the world who look like me who are going to die. Very literally. Yeah, that's not, I'm not being hyperbolic. Yeah, not, um, no. Yeah, and it's literally true. People who move through the world who look like you, just, just on that alone, without you opening your mouth, just because of the way you look, you don't have to worry about that. And of course he's right. He's 100% right. And I get it. You know, it's just, it's a, it's tough. It's hard, but, you know. So there's two ways to frame um, that with and respond to it inside yourself. One is, how dare I feel the pain that I feel and how dare I believe that my pain is more important than my responsibility to care for others, which is a, which is a shutting down kind of response. It'll make you just feel more terrible. Or it could be a reminder that part of your something larger that you connect with in your world that gives you meaning in your life is service for others. So even though this is hard, participating in the system, going to vote is something you can do to make a positive difference in the world. Not you have to, or else you're a selfish asshole, but you have this chance. It's not, it doesn't feel good, but it'll help someone else. Yeah. And that's does feel good. That's true. The, oh. <laughs> yeah, that's how this whole conversation feels. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I, I, I just, I, I, the other aspect of this, or not the other aspect, one of the other aspects is, is the fact that we're, we have been somehow forced to be in the situation in the first place. God, that. that that these are our choices. And if, and if you were in this I, conversation, Mark, if you were not here, that's all this conversation would have been because that's yeah. mostly what I have to contribute is. Yeah. You know, I, that's it. And, and, and I think one of the most important things going forward is for us as a country to figure out, I mean, I think everyone has to admit <laughs> something. You know, I, I, there have to be, everyone has to come to the table and say, yeah, these two human beings are flawed and flawed in some pretty serious ways. And one of them is really flawed in a whole bunch of ways. Um, But how did we get to the point where these are our top tier and what can we do to prevent that from happening again? And I don't know the answer to that. Uh, So here's, I do. (laughs) Thank God. One of the important ways we can prevent this from happening again is by voting for Joe Biden, frankly. In the long term. He has, at like, of all the things I can say about him, he has proven himself to be someone who surrounds himself with smart people and who can learn and grow and change. He absolutely has. Like, we have a very long documented history of his, not just his voting record, but his attitudes and the way he treats people. There's a video of him interacting with Elizabeth Warren when she was a professor who came to testify before Congress. And he is so condescending to her. And I mean, so like at the end of her testimony, she, he's challenging her and he, she's answering him. Like, I'd be glad to talk about that with you, but how about we do these things first? How about we just get that done? And he goes, 
you're really good professor. Just like, okay. But it was 20 years ago and he would never do that now. Yeah, Anita Hill is another example. Is from the past. Yes. That people are holding up of like, dude's record is not clean for sure. For sure. And we've been able to know that for a real long time. But yet he's the nominee. Yep. (laughs) And, and if we want to move forward within the system that we have, granted that it is totally fucked up, I do not feel like there's any ambivalence in the choice of like, like what can we do to make sure this never happens again? One of the things we have to do is get this guy elected. Stepping stone towards something larger. Tiny little stepping stone. Amelia and I have this argument all the time about like, there's a leak in the pipe. The basement is flooding. People are drowning. What do you do? Do you burn the house down or you just like fix the leak to save people's lives right now? Like, where do you put, like, what do you do? And it it requires everybody doing all the things simultaneously. That's why we need people like Amelia and me at different places within the spectrum. We have the same ultimate goal. We have the same basic opinions, but different ideas about how to fix it. Oh, I have Republican friends who would say the same thing. Not a lot of them, but, you know, a, a friend of mine is a conservative Republican. He teaches in the South at a university and he's been, considering who he is very vocal about we got to get rid of this guy i mean he i'm gonna have to do whatever i need to do to help get rid of him and you know to your point about growth um you know yes joe biden has shown growth over time yeah the current president is a narcissist who is completely incapable of growth Mm -hmm. just it's not it's not something that and again we have like you know long documentation of that yeah with no change no improvement over time it's hard to not compare some of the things uh, not to go on too much of a tangent some of the things that he says and does to student examples from my history as an educator when a kid just talks out of the side of his mouth yes you know trying to make excuses about something never and frankly there was a period of of time with me as a student i was that i was that kid me too. You know, I was I was the one who just would charm as best as I don't know. You know, I I came up with all these excuses, and I was really good at playing on people's emotions. and And I look back, I'm like, wow, that was I've I've apologized to professors. <laughs> like, I'm really sorry that you had to deal with that. And so, yeah, that's it's it's fascinating to see how someone like that, you know, rose to where he is. It just blows my mind. I was in a diner in Charleston, South Carolina, eating breakfast right before all this started. And uh, Trump was- Right before the pandemic started. Right before the pandemic started. and um, into a lockdown. Yeah. And the TV was on and Trump was making a speech and he was lying about the availability of tests and being wrong about everything. And uh, the woman behind the counter who was you know, like serving everybody was like, are you a Trump supporter? Because she was going to roll her eyes and complain about him. And I was like, well- I was a teacher and I know when a student hasn't done the reading and is trying to bullshit his way through what he thinks you want to hear. That's what that looks like. That's a kid who hasn't done the reading, isn't prepared. Exactly. 100%. Yes. Yeah. I worked at college. I didn't have very many of those students. Yeah. (laughs) They did the reading. Yeah. They did this. They read the citations in the reading. Yeah. You never taught high school. I did not. No, I did. We do not have the temperament for it. So, okay. 
we're coming up now with solutions of how feminists yeah. can hold their nose and cast a vote for Joe Biden regardless. And, and one of those ways so far was comparing the two evils, like genuinely it's a lesser evil. The second thing is understand that your discomfort with it is a thing that you're doing in service of something larger, of yes. serving a larger community for the long term. Yeah, you're taking a hit for people who, with even less power than yeah. whoever you happen to be in the yeah. world. You had the privilege of being able to get to a polling place and cast a vote. One of the things other I other people are disenfranchised to us as we approached 18 is not like vote to make your life better because then yeah. you look at your life and you're like, I'm fine and you don't yeah. vote. I wish what they had said was, no, you look around at the world and are like, you're given a vote just like everybody's given a vote. You can either throw it away and do nothing with it or you can throw your vote like a penny into that bucket for somebody else. I wish yeah. that we had been taught about voting that way instead of assuming that we're all just like totally selfish, only capable of examining what we want for us instead of thinking about like able to understand that we're participating in a larger system. Yeah. That, that's so I wish we thought about voting that way. A society, right? I mean, right. When you, when you, if you want to say we live in a, uh, a connected country with some semblance of shared ideals, in a, in a way up here kind of sense that that that's what you have to concern yourself with at this point. Also, I'm fine needs to be a t-shirt as well. I just put that on my list. That's good. Fine. That's, yeah, that's, that's perfect. <laughs> and then um, one of the grotesque things about a conversation like this is we need to recognize the total bullshitness and extreme power of the electoral college. Not all of our votes count equally. Right. Um, we Your vote, Mark, counts a lot more than ours do because we live in Massachusetts where it doesn't right. matter what happens. Yeah. And they can go ahead and vote for Rainbow Green candidate, whoever it is, who we haven't heard anything about. There isn't one right now. There isn't one. Who are you going to vote for if there isn't one? You're going to write in Vermin Supreme? No? <laughs> not that, that guy? <laughs> I, 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 let's not talk about me. Okay. <laughs> I think it's an interesting question, though. Like, if if there were just the two candidates on the ballot, what would you do? Here's your penny. What bucket are you going to throw it in? My first instinct is that I would not vote. And then I remember that I'm part of something larger. And my discomfort with holding my nose and voting for a stinky candidate is good for someone else in the long run. Good and that's a, a service I can do. Yeah. 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 So you would uh, vote for Biden. Even though, I got to say... I understand, like, okay, we've said many times that the best thing you can do as a social justice leader is heal your own pain, turn toward your own trauma. Because I understand, like, casting a vote for Biden can feel like you're casting a vote for your own perpetrator. Yes. For all yes. those people who shut you down and lied to you. That's not literally what it is, but it feels so dangerous. It feels so like you've given up on justice and uh, it's a it's a big barrier to be able to turn away from that and turn toward the possibility that someone else will benefit from me doing this uncomfortable thing and i know i know that i do i, I really do and it was helpful to be reminded gen gently by by friends but then my mind always kind of slips back to what if tara reed walked through my front door what would I say to her? I voted for your perp. Shit. You know, 
I would absolutely uh, say that with a straight face and I would, <laughs> so it's different. I, I reacted like immediately and said it out loud immediately and took up a bunch of space that I didn't need to take up. Sorry about that. Cause it is totally different for me. Cause I can point to 25 years of labor as like, this is all the stuff I do. Can I also point out that he's one of the authors of the violence against women act that has changed America. And yeah, bad things happen to you by him. And I voted for him and I'm here for you. Like if she walked in my door, I'd be fully present and ready to hear. Like she could say anything about me that she wanted to. And I would know that I had made a choice that was morally complex, but ultimately the only one I could make. But Amelia, I'm really glad that you said that it can feel like you're voting for your own perpetrator. Cause that's like a physiological reality. People are yes. carrying this in their bodies when they walk into their polling place. And like, I, imagining like healing circles people can go to after they vote to like hold i resist using phrases like this but like hold space for the mourning and the re-traumatization of that step that they take to like so tiny incrementally create a world where there's someone who only has one rape accusation instead of dozens like, that's the world we live in. That is disgusting and horrible. And, like, just saying those words out loud, like, my mouth feels dirty. And I also feel crystal clear. That's the stepping stone. That I, that I could look her in the eye. Yeah, that's the slippery, mud-covered stepping stone that we need to step on in order to get across this raging river of just death stepping stone that sure does feel like, you know, if I were five years old, I would absolutely believe that I had uh, claws and a gaping mouth and was going to swallow me whole if I stepped on it. And it's only maybe because I have done 25 years of this work that I can step on it and not feel like I'm going to be swallowed. Yeah. So you're saying that the best thing you could do is to heal your own shit? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I wanted to, so Electoral College. Heal Your Shit is now, it's officially a t-shirt. Yeah, that's on the list. That was already on the list. Yeah, I know. It's yeah, clearly, it's. <laughs> Let's imagine a voter in Florida, which is like one of those states, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. Arizona. These are the states. Yeah. Who is feminist and like maybe even voted for Hillary Clinton really is like appalled by Donald Trump but hears this and is like how can I vote for another fucking perpetrator what do we say to that person and the other aspect of that is I think you're it's likely a democrat right I mean chances are probably it's, it's probably it a might democrat. be somebody like Amelia who's green rainbow it might be somebody sure. who's independent yeah. But let's just for the sake of the of the discussion. Let's assume let's a Democrat. Say let's say it's a they, Democrat. this is a person who's also disgusted with the primary process and horrified at where we landed, given the options we had at the beginning. Right. Uh, and in in their I wanted mind, to vote for Kamala Harris for the record. And I I had I hadn't decided yet. I I I, I liked so many of them, and too many of them dropped out before I could really you know, and so. You know that's a whole other uh, mm -hmm. issue. Um, I ha really hadn't made up my mind, um, but so let's assume Democrat, and let's assume that somewhere in this person's head, they hold on to the 
not always true, but probably in the balance true <laughs> issue or, or, or thought that caring about sexual assault and survivors of sexual sexual assault and dealing with laws that you know punish and 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 uh, deal with that whole aspect tends to be more of a democratic platform yes. that gets talked about yeah. rather than a republican platform that's i'm not saying I'm republicans so don't it's care because we're hypocrites if we it, hold our nose that's exactly that's i think that's the added dimension to this where you could at least say, well, I don't really agree with this person, but at least I know that they care about X, Y, and Z. And then when you find out that out of that list, the huge list, not just X, Y, and Z, that, oh, this person has issues in their, his- in their past with Z. And that's one of the most important things I care about as a person. It, it, it becomes somehow this really weird barrier and to step through that barrier, it's, it's, the, it's, a, now I feel like I'm mansplaining the stone, but it's the stepping stone you're talking about, yeah. right? Um, yeah. It's, it's a weird thing. And, you're not and, mansplaining because we asked you here specifically to give us your perspective. <laughs> you're invited in to the female space. Yeah. I, thank you. Thank yeah. you. I, in all seriousness, thank you. Uh, it, it means a great deal to be part of this discussion. So that's, you know, I mean, what your, your question with that added perspective, what, what do you say? How do you talk to that person and say, this is what you, you really need to do if we're going to get out of this? I personally don't say that. Like, so I'm imagining being confronted one-on-one with somebody who would otherwise have been like, sure, Joe Biden, sure. But here's this and is like, you know what? I like, I, I'm, I'm just not going to show up. I'm just not going to do it. My first response is I get it. And because because there is a, a pit you have to cross, there is a like a swamp of horror that you have to cross in order to get to your polling place, basically, emotionally speaking. And if somebody doesn't want to do that, that's that seems fair to me. <laughs> and it is so many of us who are like, there's a fucking swamp. And not everybody has years of practice uh, crossing that swamp. And if somebody doesn't want to do that, that's, that's fair enough. And I think we really can, I don't know, would, does it seem fair to say that every survivor who dares to cross the swamp and like hold their nose as they do it and vote for the guy is making the world a little safer for everybody who's got a swamp and is reducing the likelihood that their own children and their nephews and nieces and like everyone else is going to have a swamp made in their lives. Yes. That you're, yeah. you're doing this difficult thing, not for you. I mean, especially when you, when you state it that way, you know, and it's, it's not, it, it's from a place of overwhelming compassion, a, a compassion for, the person <laughs> and compassion for the situation that we're trying to create, you know, the, the, the better atmosphere. Um, yeah, it, of course. And I don't know whether or not it's a good idea for me to name the ambivalence I have about other aspects of this, like the ambivalence I have about the idea of this story being covered. And the way it's being covered. 
I so predictable. It is so predictable and so it, toxic. It uses all so of the non-productive. And I've always been used against women and yes. of sexual assault. It's it's and, following and the playbook. I've seen I've seen that coming from Democratic friends. Yes. Uh, who frankly were some of the people that kind of attacked my post, yeah. posting, you know, a, a little title card screenshot or, or, or post that says, you know, uh, these, these, here are all these things you need to know about Tara Reid. <laughs> oh, right. And, it, and like, that's, that's you, in the playbook. That's thing two in the playbook is assault. But it's, but it shouldn't be, it's not our, it's not supposed to be our playbook. It's not, right. not supposed to be the democratic playbook. And I see that, I, you know, I get it. This is what I want to say. I, I want to say to that person, but I'm afraid to at this point, because I really don't feel like going through <laughs> Right. Electrical charges in the, my back. I want to say, look, <laughs> encourage people to vote for, for Biden. Uh, continue. That's great. I think you, you should do that. But this kind of encouragement does not help. It just, no. it just doesn't, it doesn't help. And it doesn't paint you in a positive light either. No. no. You know? And one of the reasons they don't want to hear that or admit to the fact that they're using the same tactics that Republicans used to deal with Trump's assault allegations. They don't want to, turn toward this dark part of themselves, this part of themselves that they would much rather deny. And they need to heal their shit. They need to turn toward their own hypocrisy and be like, oh, dude, I'm doing this hypocritic thing. I am. And maybe it's I can when, it comes, when it comes to men, it's not just men who are survivors healing their shit. It's men who are victims of masculinity itself. Yes. Having to confront the ways they too have done things like this, the way they were poisoned by toxic masculinity to conform to these scripts that are inherently violent against women. Mm -hmm. Have it like in order to honor the complexity of this dynamic they have to recognize their own peace yeah. where they fit in that toxic dangerous culture and it feels so frustrating to anyone who's learned that playbook who's learned that dialogue who's reciting the script they learned it they're doing it and now someone's telling them that this is wrong and it's hurtful yeah it's wrong and it's hurtful i'm sorry you learned that terrible thing maybe it's time to um to unlearn it and maybe try a new way I'm going to, um, this is a note to Rich to include a link in the show notes to a little medium piece I wrote that originally comes from a blog post I wrote, I think in 2014 about, it's literally just called Well to Do When Someone Tells You They Were Sexually Assaulted. It's four difficult but simple sentences that you have to say. One, I believe you. Two, thank you for trusting me enough to tell me. Three, I'm sorry that happened to you. And four, I support you whatever you choose to do. And I think if we like go back to that, like people and people feel like, oh, good, just a script. Just like give me the sentences to hold on yeah. to and recognize <laughs> that you're going to have like a stew of feelings in your body while you're trying to say these simple things. That's cool. I have and that list in my office oh. because we, we have a uh, we go through a training every year by the local center that exists to support women in, in various situations that not just women, anyone who experiences uh, uh, sexual assault, but they also have a women's shelter and it's uh, called the Blackburn Center. And they come and give us training on mm -hmm. this stuff. And, and they have given us that list to make sure you say these things. And I don't know if Amelia has ever spoken to you about this, but I think like my first, my first full-time coral job during my first semester, three different students came to my office to tell me they were thinking about suicide. 
Mm-hmm. There's something about music relationships. Teachers. Yeah. Music yeah. teachers, uh, theater teachers, where students feel that they can trust you mm-hmm. uh, and they build kind of these really intense, complex relationships with. Yeah. And uh, I've had students come and tell me these things. Yeah. And uh, there was, again, not to sidetrack, but there was, a, this is, this is a regretful story where I learned I can't be that person. There was a young lady who was sexually assaulted. She was raped. And while she was in the process of getting into the situation, she called a fellow student to come get her at this party. Her phone fell on the floor. And as the other student was driving to this party to get her, he had to listen to what was going on in the room. Oh God. So as this played out in, in the department, we were in, I was in the office with the, the administrative assistant um, and we were kind of, people were talking about the fact that this, this had happened and how terrible it was and what can, what can we do for her to support her? What does she need? And the administrative assistant said, well, I mean, she had been drinking. And I regretfully, regretfully. Let's pause a moment. Let's pause a moment. Just one moment <laughs> while I move. Let me get ready for the rest of the story. So. Oh, that's a big one. I, I completely regret what I did. Yep. But I shouted at her. I, I just, I yelled at, I turned her and I said, you know, no, you can't say stuff like that. I mean, um, we're in a uh, mixed company. There are other people. It wasn't just me and her. And if it was just me and her, it would be even worse, right? right. Uh, me yelling at her saying, you can't say stuff like that. That's complete victim blaming. And that's not what we're supposed to be doing. And it, it really, in hindsight, shut down a really important opportunity for me to share why that statement wasn't helpful in a way that may have been able to be digested. You know, you know what I mean? Uh, Real confession here. When you said you yelled at her, I wanted to cheer. (laughs) I was like, yeah, yell at her, Mark, yell at her. (laughs) And I know that's less productive, but. So the simplest way I've ever heard this explained, I went to one of the many Title IX conferences I was required to go to around 2011 to 2013. And one of the presenters just boiled it down to this, like, if what we do is always centered around what's best for the survivor, it's hard to go wrong. And when I hear that story, I think, how would that survivor feel about the fact that you yelled at a person who wanted to dismiss what happened because she had been drinking? And I feel like, I don't, I don't know, but I think if given the choice between you yelling at a person who was participating in that kind of victim blaming versus you not saying anything, I think they choose. The oh, sure. And I also want to say like, you probably had to do like bystander training, right? Where you interrupt yeah. the flow of interpersonal violence. Yes. Um, and I teach based on the, the green dot model of distract, delegate, direct. This was a direct intervention where you like directly address the situation that was happening right there. And, but the moral of the story for me in bystander interaction is that what matters is that you do something and something is anything that isn't nothing. And you did something that wasn't nothing. Was it like perfect and ideal? No, it would have been awesome if you could have like, like in that moment, used your <laughs> like years of professional and... training around sexual <laughs> violence and supporting survivors to say, yeah, let's recognize that that's one of the commonly held myths around sexual violence. That's a thing that could have happened and that's not what happened. And you did something and something is anything that isn't nothing. 
and like like it's cool that you're like learning from the experience and like would do it differently in the future and you did a lot so i mean like you're especially in a complicated position because as a white dude in a room especially as like a faculty white dude in a room talking to an administrative assistant you have so much power and i was standing and she was sitting i mean there's there's lots of different you know yes. uh, that you could look at it and go that's you know like uh, it looks yes. not yeah. and i get how that can feel gross and you used all that power like all of that power strictly in defense of the survivor granting that we don't know the history of the assistant who may themselves have an experience like this they might have a child who had an experience like this and they didn't know how to process it and they're hearing it again and they're like having to make this excuse and if they dare to accept that alcohol is not a justification for sexually assaulting someone then they need to like re-examine the way they responded to their child when their child said that this happened to them and holy shit right we we all just need to know our shit like we don't care Like, we don't know. Yeah. So uh, this is an opportunity for all of us to turn with kindness and compassion toward Mark and like (laughs) the complexity of the choices we all have to make when we're in these moments that are so inflammatory, so emotional in the moment. And we do the best that we can. And as Amelia always says, we are all doing the best we can with the resources available to us in the moment. And you did the best you could. And the thing you could do was like, it's, it was very much like voting for Joe Biden. Was it perfect? No. It's what was available to you in the moment? No, I, you know, the the phrase, you can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, mm-hmm. has, uh, you know, I, I, I actually just engaged in a, 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 pace, a post on Facebook that kind of dealt with this. Uh, that's a, a phrase that I kind of always didn't totally understand. I was like, I don't, what, what are we trying to say here? I mean, of course we want to, cause that's, that's our goal as, as artists, we're always striving for the perfect. Yeah. We never get there, but we're always it's striving for musicians, you know, and it just keeps moving. And it's, it's one of the reasons why I think when, when artists a great way get to, to facilitate foop, see yeah. our previous episode. <laughs> that's, I listened to it. The, so the, I think the idea that art, when artists get to do a task, that is cut and dry has a, a start, a middle, and an end. It's so rewarding, and and just it makes you feel oh, I'm done. Look at it, it's done. I can't do that any more done than it's done now. It's yeah. done, right? But with making art, we always look at it and go, "Well, we could have. We listened to a recording. We could have made these." So the but now with everything that's going on with our field, how are we going to make music in groups as we move forward? So <laughs> this this concept of uh, not letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. I get it now. I understand what that means. And I think this current situation with the voting choice is an example of that. You can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. You just, you can't. We have mostly kept the sort of moral decision-making focused around this one issue. Um, You mentioned that a friend was like, so you're a white dude with a lot of privilege. Don't forget that you're not just voting about this issue. You're also voting about, you know, the, all, all the racism and all the black people who are going to die as a result of this. Um, I also want to bring in the COVID response to this because it is such literal death. So immediate and the enormity of this, as again, this is my public health self coming out, the enormity 
of the failures, particularly around testing in this administration, were very literally killing people, like, immediately. Like, we are, it's... And as you pointed out earlier, where they've been suddenly very vocal about, we want to reduce voter turnout. Now, yes. we're hearing, well, yeah, we might have this many people die. We just have to be okay with it. I, 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 mm-hmm. Why do we have to be okay with it? Why? Is and also, like, no, we'd rather you risk your life to go to the polls. You're not allowed <laughs> to vote by mail. We don't want you to be able to vote safely without risking your life. Yeah. If nothing else, I think for sheer bloody mindedness, the fact that they don't want us to vote, like we should just vote because fuck you, I'm allowed. Yeah. You can't stop me. Is that too much of a, like a, you know, 17 year old, 18 year old being, why don't 18 year old votes, 18 year olds vote just for like the, like, you don't want me to vote? Fuck you. I'm going to vote. You can't stop me from voting. Ironic voting. Yes. (laughs) Ironic voter. There's another T-shirt. I'm sorry. That's played out. That's a dead horse. <laughs> We're done with that. I would totally wear that because, yeah, you are an ironic voter. Although I do think that attitude of like, you, the Democrats, and who knows how much help from Russia came with getting Joe Biden to be the nominee. I don't know. Not none. Not none. Therefore, so, so if oh, you want like Joe Biden to be the nominee, I don't know about that. My understanding is they were um, pushing Bernie. But maybe that was a red herring. Who fucking knows? There's no way of knowing how much, but I do think we can be pretty confident that the Russians interfered with the nomination process. Oh, sure. Um, The same way they interfered with the uh, election four years ago. So if you want to say, like, fuck you to Putin, vote. Even it's for a guy with a mixed history. I'm just trying to think of ways people can frame... You know, taking into account other issues, taking into account, like, sticking it to the man if the man is Putin or Trump. Remembering that this distasteful, unpleasant thing you're doing is good for other people. It's like wearing a mask. It's not to protect you. It's to protect other people. So if it's uncomfortable, that's correct. Yes. If it's uncomfortable, that's correct. That is also a (laughs) t-shirt. That's true. But the font would be very small, so a person would have to get too close to read it and be like, oh, well, it is, now it's uncomfortable, but apparently that's That's correct. correct. Yeah. Yeah. I say to my choirs all the time, it's hard, do it anyway. Yeah. So maybe we should wrap up with like something good that happened in the past day or two? Yes. So one of the evidence-based strategies for improving happiness is to share one great thing that's happened in the last day or two. I want to share mine because it just happened right before we started this conversation, which is that my dogs were out back playing and they, it gets kind of rough. They growl and they chase and they wrestle. And I worry that Lucy, who we've had for three years, will be too, too rough on Sadie, that she'll be mean and be a bully towards her. Um, and today Lucy bit Sadie and Sadie yelped. And as soon as Sadie yelped, Lucy jumped back and stood perfectly still with this worried look on her face and then stood perfectly still while Sadie got up and ran away and like sniffed all around. And then Lucy just like laid down and rolled on her back. My dog is a good dog. Oh, 
My dog's not a bully. She listened and she allowed the distance. Yeah. Showed doggy doggy compassion. She showed doggy compassion. So great. My dog showed us all how to react to someone who is suffering. That's well. That there's that old phrase, right? If you can look at someone and not judge them based on their gender, their race, you know, their (laughs) their physical attributes, then congratulations, you're You're as good as your dog. You're You're as good as your dog. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I can share something, um, you know, after that, this webinar for our, for our career field about the future of, of shared music making last night, I just kind of had this moment of kind of clarity. In fact, one of the lines that was used by one of the guests was go for clarity, not, uh, what was it? Now I can't remember. Oh, it's going to drive me crazy. Go for clarity, not uh, certainty. That was it. Go for clarity, not certainty. Uh, you know, if you strive for certainty and, and making sure everything is, again, it's, it's kind of related to don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. I just kind of had this moment where I'm like, okay, there are things that I'm not going to be able to change. If I care about my, my students and my singers and their health and their well-being, then I have to start innovating. I have to start thinking about what I can do. And work together with my colleagues to come up with crazy ideas we've never thought of before. And I went to bed and my mind was just swimming and I woke up at like 4.30 in the morning and my mind was just going, (laughs) I can't sleep. So I started posting things on Facebook that were just kind of labeled opportunity number one this opportunity number two, this opportunity number, you know, and just kind of, I'm, I'm still doing it, posting these things. And the response from friends uh, has just been, yeah, what can we do? How can we talk and figure this out and, and do things that are going to make sense based on the available data, not let's sit and no, I'm not, I don't want to take away anyone's grieving process because there certainly is a grieving process that happens. But one of the things that I posted was some people are going to be further, further along and the way we function is guess what? We can lean on those people. So if I'm having a day and I just can't think, I can lean on one of my colleagues and say, can you help me with this? And 18 million colleagues will come out of the word work going, what do you need? Right? And so to me, that is an incredibly joyful thing that I am part of a profession that is connected in that way and makes me feel like I'm in the right place. So that's my good thing. That's a super great thing. It was a really good thing. My good thing. So uh, uh, regular listeners of the podcast will know that I fucked up my back uh, and I have been unable to walk down a hill for about five weeks. Yesterday, I received in the mail the walking stick that I ordered on Etsy. It is (laughs) hand-carved dogwood from a fallen branch that had honeysuckle growing around it. So it's got this like spiral built into it. It is beautiful. I look like Gandalf when I walk with it. Nice. (laughs) And with that stick, I can use it to stay upright while I walk uphill. So yesterday I was able to walk down and then back up a hill for the first time in five weeks. And I got to look like Gandalf while I did it. Yeah, while looking like Gandalf. So It's doubly a big deal. Yeah, that's pretty great. Yeah. It's a much smaller victory maybe than... There are no small victories. Yeah. Yeah. It's also a metaphor that like you have a beautiful thing to lean on in a time of need. 
That's true. I hadn't thought about it as being a metaphor, but it's like, yeah. it's the most obvious metaphor in the world. This is what you learn as a choral conductor. Everything's a metaphor. Everything is Every, a metaphor. Every, everything is a metaphor. That's My students complained, not everything's a metaphor. Yes, everything's a metaphor. Yeah. Is it a metaphor that I like? My life basically has jumped the shark that I purchased a hand carved fallen stick <laughs> dogwood walking stick off of Etsy. That's, uh, that's pretty white lady hipster. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I also I mean, have uh, wooden tablespoon scoops that were hand carved in Poland I know. that I use for my <laughs> dish detergent. This is, this is, has the makings of a sitcom. It's, I, I think. Yeah. The amount of, you know. Etsy hand-carved wood in my house is pretty. I like it. Yeah. I basically could have like redone my whole house and hand-carved Etsy wood. Anyway, thank you. This has been, I hope, helpful for other people, but definitely helpful for me in enhancing my compassion and patience for people who are struggling with this issue. And also for like building up my kind of patience and understanding for the people who feel bossy and rude because they're so terrified by what could happen if people don't show up because of this. Like everybody's in a bad position right now and we can be kind to each other. Yeah. It's been, true. it's been a wonderfully positive experience for me and I'm, I'm very grateful for the, for the invitation. It's, uh, you know, I've known Amelia for quite a long time now. I think, five years i want to say i think it was I think boston it's more than we that met, we yeah met each other in boston yeah for the yeah. conference but no, i think I've, we I've, met adjudicating oh i think in you're right philadelphia yeah i think or new right. jersey yeah no i think we met adjudicating like eight years ago true anyway you, yeah and uh it's it's been really wonderful to meet you emily and and uh kind of learn from you because you definitely have taught me some things uh during this this time together and I appreciate it. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you for being willing to have this conversation and share so much of yourself and your experiences. I feel confident that it will help other people. Definitely helps me and Emily. Yeah. Um, and I feel sure that you're not the only one in the position you're in and it'll, it'll help people to hear. Yeah, me too. That's quarantine, baby. <laughs> the Feminist Survival Project 2020 is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.